0: Hello, this is episode 175 of the Purple Psychology Podcast. I'm Dr. Nisha Riley. This episode is for younger people speaking on civil rights, but it can be any public speaking. I've been thinking a lot about why do older speakers seem more impactful. And I need to record this without being in any way patronising, because it's incredibly easy to do. I can look back at my own student union days particularly National Congress, and think I did a lousy job. I was getting over my own fear of public speaking, but also I made a lot of the mistakes that I'm going to talk about here. Interestingly enough, the more personal presentations I did, the very first talks I did on my dyslexia, particularly at university, I did a number of talks, and I did one outside for the Dyslexia Association. And I can look back at those and feel a lot happier about them. And one of the aspects of that which I'm going to talk about is the fact that I made it so personal. One of the challenges, I think, that teens have at the moment is the way that the world rewards. They've grown up in a world that expects instant. It expects instant results. It expects instant answers to emails and texts and messages. There's a big need for attention. And there's a big sense that attention equates with change. And I think any of the older speakers have a better way to benchmark this, which I'm going to go into as well. So for me, there's a, a couple of key components that I'm going to talk about. Some of it is the poise. Some of it is to do with making it personal. The sense of benchmarking and the sense of what you're expecting. So if we talk about the whole concept of poise, I find with a lot of younger speakers that they're inclined to feel that shouting and speaking at the same level is a good thing to do. You need to change your voice patterns when you're speaking. And a good trick is, in fact, to try editing your own voice, which you can do quite, quite easily. There's a lot of open source editing programs out there. I use GarageBand on the Mac. But your voice should be in distinct packets of moments. They look a little bit like raisins. And so there's a sense of place where you build to, there's a pause, and you move on to the next packet of information. And in many ways, it looks like a good piece of music. Whereas if I had edited many of the talks that I saw last week, they would have been consistently all at the same level, all at the same tempo and frequency with no breaks in between to actually take the information in or to realise the points that you're building to that really matter. I found many of the talks were not very personal. They didn't seem to be in the voice of the person who was speaking. They seemed overly complex for some of the age groups. There's nothing wrong with being yourself and being the person you are and speaking in your own words and your own experiences and your own reference points and your own culture and your own parts that you identify with, whatever populist elements those are, there's a certain vulnerability in doing that. And vulnerability is something that, it's, that you grow into and it is easier to do with age. And it's one of the biggest reasons why we find it easier to relate to older speakers. Because we relate to their vulnerability and their wellness and their ability to share the difficult stories in their own words and their own experiences. And those were the parts that I learned how to do very quickly when I needed to start talking about Dyslexia in University and I needed to start talking in terms of the other students for disability rights issues. I learned how to be vulnerable about my own experiences and to tell people when I was speaking to younger people what I wished I'd known when I was their age and when I was speaking to older people what I wish they knew about me and the sort of assumptions that they make and the sort of experiences I had along the way. And so that's a part for me that's quite difficult to do and quite scary to do but it doesn't seem to have been something that people were encouraged to do in a lot of the speeches that were written. There's no need for you to impress and for you to try to stand in someone else's shoes. You can do that as yourself. Benchmarking is very interesting. And I think that, again, this is quite difficult to do when you're younger. One of the most vivid memories that I have was sitting in a lecture in college in in the south of Ireland. I had been to the north of Ireland for again for a Student Union um, conference and I was sitting beside somebody in the lecture from Northern Ireland and I, I turned around and I said to them you know it's, it's really great you know so much has changed in the north because the border point had been done away with that I used to drive through as a child you know, where you would be stopped by the army at gunpoint. You would get to the main shopping streets in Belfast and there would be barricades up. And again, you would be stopped by the army and you would have, like, your bags searched. There was a sense that nobody stopped to, to talk to other people. You just kind of rushed around Belfast and kind of did your business. You didn't sort of hang around. And you were always incredibly conscious of the army being present and of the armoured cars driving past you and so on. And when I went to the north, and it was uh, quite some time since I'd been there, all of that was gone. And there was a huge change just in the openness and the friendliness and the fact that I remember three women standing on a street corner in one of the main shopping districts and just chatting. That didn't happen so much in those areas before that. And so for me, there was a big change. But the person sitting beside me from the North was just like adamant that nothing was different and nothing had changed. And I think it's only when you've lived through something or you've actively listened to the words of other people or you've read their words or you've watched the footage that you can realise in history just how many small incremental changes take place. And how much feeling takes place and how much change there has been. That doesn't mean you've arrived at perfection or there aren't still serious issues or serious things wrong. But you do have to acknowledge the journey. And I have started listening to the newly out audiobook on John Lewis, His Truth is Marching On. And in the very opening part of it so far, John Lewis is recorded as saying... How much has changed and how frustrated he feels at times when younger people don't feel anything has changed at all, where they make sweeping statements like that. And so much has changed. So much has changed since slavery. So much is not changed and not perfect. But you do have to acknowledge everything that has happened and all of the battles that have been won and to just value those moments. And we've had to do that in Ireland too, because an extraordinary amount has changed in my lifetime. And I could talk the same way if I talked about the process of being a gay person in this country as well. I could tell a similar story of how much has changed in my lifetime. And my parents could tell another story on how much has changed with access to contraception and women staying in the workplace after they've got married. All of those things have changed in my parents' generation. So we are constantly changing and evolving. And that's something that it's harder for you to know when you're younger without doing a lot of research and a lot of reading and a lot of background into what you're talking about. The last part on expectation is an interesting one. I always say that you get what you expect from people. I always expect my students to do well. I always encourage their parents to expect them to do well. I've been told many times that my standards are too high, that I expect too much. But funnily enough, everything that I've ever expected from anybody, they've generally achieved. And some of the people who've criticized me for expecting too much have had to turn around and say, well, actually they did it. So when we put people on a pedestal, and we expect the best from them. That's what we get. Whereas when I look at many of the speeches, there's a sense of asking for permission. So while there's the underlying part that I've just talked about in implying that no change has occurred, which hasn't been acknowledged, there's also a sense of asking for something rather than expecting it, and expecting the next changes to not take as long as the ones that have already gone before. I think that's a really valuable place for anybody to put themselves. It doesn't matter what the campaign is. I expect people to treat me well as a woman. I expect to get on in my career. I expect to be treated with respect by people. I treat them with respect in order to foster that taking place. It's a very important difference to have an expectation from people to putting yourself in a position where you're passing over your sense of self and your sense of validation to somebody else. And that's gonna flow into the last part they're gonna talk about. I did do I did write an essay and awareness piece this week called Wishing for a Dream. One of the most striking things for me in looking at the photographs of the March on Washington last week and looking at the ones from 57 years ago, one of the topics I was going to write on was the sense of dress and the dress code because it's quite striking to me how much that's changed. And I remember listening to John Lewis describing his own words of how he went out to buy a suit and to walk over the Selma Bridge. And it's been one of the aspects that I really admired about black people for a long time is their sense of dress the first time I ever remember encountering this was when I went to Brighton in the UK. And at that time in Ireland, we didn't have very many black people living in Ireland. It's it's bizarre that I can remember the first time I saw a black person as an Irish person, right? And one of the things that I remember, I went to Brighton on this Sunday, and there was so many black people that were just amazingly dressed that I assumed that they were at a wedding or something, because that's the only reason the Irish people would have dressed up that well. And it turned out that it was just, it was a sense of it was Sunday and black people dressed up amazingly on Sunday in Brighton. And it was really striking to me how how well turned out they were. And it was just, it was just such a fantastic experience. It was such a contrast to Ireland. If I look at the March on Washington last week, it was interesting because the only person that was in a suit was 65. And the only other person was a lawyer. And if I looked at the clothes of the other people, especially the families who've been deeply affected over the last few months. They didn't need to dress up anymore in the same way as if you look at the original photographs of the original March on Washington from 57 years ago, where everybody is like would describe it in Ireland as, you know, they were dressed up in their best bib and tucker. And, you know, very much like my experience of Brighton. In a way... You can initially sort of judge that and say, you know, have, have people lost pride? You know, are they, are they not as well turned out now? But when I sit and I think about it, I realize that the pride has changed. 57 years ago, the way of having pride was in a way quite superficial. It was an armor that you wore to present to the world in order to be able to cope and go out and do those things. Whereas now... The pride is from within. It's an internal sense of what's best. You don't need to be different. In a way, my takeaway from it, when I think about it, is that you don't need to be that well-dressed and in a suit anymore to feel like you should be taken seriously. And whatever external judgments there are of that, they are external judgments because the internal sense of pride no longer needs that camouflage in a way. So what I always say to people, like students are always asking me, you know, um, should I wear a, a suit to an interview? There is an aspect that yes, people do judge us on how well turned out we are and how clean we are and how well groomed we are. But that for me always has to be balanced with you being able to feel comfortable and confident in yourself and whatever you wear. I do always say to people in interviews that what you should wear should be quite memorable. There's no point in turning up in the same bland suit as everybody else. You do need to be groomed, and stupid things like your shoes need to be clean. But you need to have your own identity, and that comes from within. And it, it is a big change when I look at the photographs over 57 years, how that has changed for people and how that now translates. So it's something that, you know, you might find interesting to do yourself to go back and look at that.